Oh, hello. I'll try that again. Good morning. <laughs> you can hear me now. Lovely to see you all. Uh, just because we love the notices so much, we're going to kick off with them today. So uh, hold on to your hats. There's three big ones. Um, so the prayer, uh, prayer evening, uh, which was going to be last week and was delayed to this week, is now going to be this week. So tonight, 6 p.m. here uh, for, our week, for our monthly prayer thing. Hope Explored is one week in, but it's not too late to join. So we've got the next two Saturdays, um, Rob's leading Hope Explored. I believe it's here. Um, it's all in the notice sheets. Um, or come and hassle Rob for information. But you're more than welcome to join in the next couple of weeks. And then a date for your diary on the 23rd, Monday the 23rd, is going to be our next uh, sort of church uh, members meeting. Uh, it'd be great to have as many people there as possible to learn about and contribute to what's going on in the life of the church. So Monday the 23rd for that. So I'll hand over to Ian. Good morning, everybody. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus together. And shall we bow our heads in prayer and confession? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather uh, in your name this morning, recognizing that, Lord Jesus, you are the one who died for us on the cross, paying our sins so that we might be reconciled to God the Father, that we might be justified in your sight. And we thank you for that, Lord. We know that we are justified before you, but, oh Lord, there's so much work to do in each and of our lives who belong to you. And therefore... We confess our sins to you. We know, O oh Lord, that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed through our own deliberate fault, and we are truly sorry. We haven't loved you, O oh Lord, with all our hearts and all our minds and all our strength, and we haven't loved our neighbor as ourself. And I just invite you now, in the next minute or so, to lift up those areas where you felt you've sinned against the Lord, to bring them to him. He knows all things, but reveal them to him, or if you feel led, to pray out loud. Lord who forgives all who truly repent. We thank you that you forgive our sins because of the death of Lord Je our Lord Jesus on the cross. Amen. I just want to share some words from Hebrews um, as we worship God together this morning. It's Hebrews 10, 22 to 23, and it says this, Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water to let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise let's stand and worship the Lord together
So I can't help doing it. So if you've got anything in you, join me in that oorah. If not, if you're a bit wet, that's all right. So we'll do that again. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet, oorah, lift your voice, oorah. We have jubilee, oorah. Yeah. 
brethren at the trumpet call lift your voice it's the year of jubilee out of zion's hill salvation comes baby with god like jehovah there's no 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 god like jehovah Behold, he comes, shining on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, it's troubles you are, of jubilee, oh yeah. Out of Zion, old salvation comes. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. Shining like the sun at the trumpet go, oh yeah, lift your voice. standing as we talk about the Lord who's coming to rest who's come to rescue us Thank you. 
grave. You came down to find us, let us out of today, Lord, that we will be uh, men and women and children who lift our eyes to you, who lift our hearts in praise and adoration to you, the maker of all things. And just in the stillness now, perhaps 
One or two of you might want to raise your voice, lifting your hearts in adoration and praise and thankfulness to the Lord. For He is good. He is merciful. He is full of grace and full of love. Please be seated. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can meet with the power of your Holy Spirit in the morning to quicken our hearts and raise our hearts and expectations to you. And as we continue with our uh, worship now, um, I'm not sure if the children go out first. Do we have prayers first? Uh, children, so children will go out. And so we'll pray for the children as they go out now, um, continuing our worship. So, dear Lord Jesus, we pray for all those little ones, as Mike already prayed for them, that we, we thank you for them, Father God. We pray that seeds of eternal life will be placed in their little, precious hearts, Father God, and they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior as they grow older and give honor and glory to you and know and receive your blessing in their lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And we will continue our worship further now with our prayers, intercessory prayers. Thanks, Vicky.
Let us pray. This morning in our prayers, I'm going to um, use some scripture from uh, Lamentations. Um, I think we all often feel our world is a mess and think everything is broken, but I do encourage you to go and read Lamentations uh, to see this is not the only time that people have felt this way. So I'm just reading some little excerpts um, to help as we pray this morning. Let us all, let's pray. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Lord, this morning, before we um, focus on ourselves, um, I just want to lift up um, your world. And this morning, I particularly want to lift up um, the country of Malawi and the cholera outbreak there. Dear Lord, we just pray um, for your hand to work in the situation. Lord, you know um, the issues that have caused it. You, Lord, you know the um, poverty, um, the lack of government planning, the environmental flooding. Lord, you know all these things that have made that situation so much worse. And Lord, we just pray that you will intervene, that you will help um, those uh, NGOs who are trying to um, make plans to get safe water to people. Lord, we pray for the healthcare system in that country as it tries to deal with the, with the sick. And Lord, we pray you bring comfort to the dying and the bereaved. Lord, in a situation that feels so far away from us and all of our troubles, the, just the lack of clean water, Lord, um, feels so alien to us when we all have taps that we can turn on. Lord, we just pray that your hand will work miracles in that country, that you will prompt us to um, know how we can help, be it um, financially, through prayer, through support, or just any ways, Lord. We just pray that you will prompt us to remember those people and that nation at this time. Amen. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, Do not fear. Lord, as we pray um, now for our own country, um, Lord, I just want to... Um, lift up our health service to you. Lord, um, as you know, this is something close to my heart, but Lord, this is something that affects everybody. And Lord, all can play their part. Lord, we just pray um, that you will intervene. Lord, we just pray um, that for all the people who need the health service, Lord, that you will um, put it there. Lord, we do thank you that despite the, the chaos, the weights, the cues, um, that, Lord, actually it is still such a great blessing to us in this country that there are many countries in the world who um, cry out to have anything even close to the um, amazing provision that we do have in this country. 
But Lord, we do just pray um, that you will uh, start at the top and give the government wisdom to find ways um, out of this situation. Lord, we pray for everyone who works in the health service, from um, cleaners, porters, um, technicians, up through staff, physios, radiologists, um, and nurses, healthcare assistants, Lord, up to um, the doctors and the managers. Lord, we just pray for wisdom as people do their work. Lord, we pray for resolution of um, industrial action. Lord, we just pray that all people will do their work to the best of their ability um, to honour you. And Lord, we do pray for all the people who need the health service, those who are even at this moment sitting in the back of ambulances waiting. Lord, we pray you will bring comfort, that you will help people get the care they need. We pray that you will help people um, to think as they use the health service, to be wise in their decisions. Um, But Lord, just help there to be a way through the system. And Lord, um, if we could get um, some relief from the infections that are um, tormenting the nation, Lord, that would be um, a great miracle, Lord, that we know your hand can do. Amen. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Lord, in this week where families have been in the news, Lord, we are aware that all families have their difficulties from um, very privileged families down to... um, each and every one of us. Lord, we just pray this morning for families, for our own families, for families we know. Lord, in families there is um, the greatest capability for, for love and support, but also in those close relationships, the greatest ability for hurt and pain, Lord. Lord, we pray for healing in families. We pray for mercy and compassion that we can show to one another in our families, be those immediate families, be those our church families, or or just those around us. Lord, as we know that it has been from the beginning that brother has been pitted against brother, Lord, we just pray that your spirit will descend, that reconciliation can be found. And in all those families who are hurting this morning, Lord, we just pray your peace. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke whilst he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, We are starting a new series this morning. 
So, uh, yeah, we've, we've been looking through the book of Exodus, haven't we? Um, and uh, we've sort of worked through that book slowly. We've got heading towards the end of Exodus. There's still a chunk to do, but we're going to come back and do that slightly later in the year. But as we start this new year, I thought it would be good for us to start with the gospel. Uh, we're going to look, well, over this year, we're going to look at Matthew's gospel. Uh, I say over this year, we're going to do it in chunks. It's actually going to take us a couple of years, but what we'll do is we'll work right the way through that gospel. Um, we're going to start in chapter 3 because we've just looked at Christmas. And it might be slightly odd to go straight back into Christmas in January. Um, but uh, we're going to look at Matthew's gospel. Then we're going to spend some time looking through the letter to the Romans and then we're going to finish off Exodus, and we'll sort of roll through looking at Matthew, Romans, and Exodus as we go. So, with that said, uh, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. For this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, thank you for your word, thank you for this gospel, this good news, this uh, account of the life and person and purpose of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we thank you that we are able to study it and we pray, Lord, that this would not be simply a human endeavour this morning, but that as we look at your word, by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us and train us, and build us up, and prepare us for every good work, Lord, that we might glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Durant family took the Christmas tree down a few days ago. Um, 
it always strikes me as funny how all the trappings of Christmas can be put into a box and disappear into the cupboard or the loft so quickly. Uh, the recycling lorry collects all the wrapping paper and the gifts disperse into the house and all of a sudden it's as though nothing happened, isn't it? A brief whiff of nostalgia, perhaps. Ah, oh, Christmas is done for another year. And then it's back to normal. So it's worth asking the question, has Christmas made any difference at all? Or was it just a season? Something that happened, it was great, and now it's done. Back to how it was. Perhaps you're a bit more familiar with the contents of Netflix. Or maybe you've gone up a belt size thanks to some most excellent mince pies. Or perhaps you now know that Auntie Janice likes playing Scrabble games back to back all evening. But beyond that, well, our passage this morning seems to almost suggest the same, same thing. Christmas happened, but now this. As it makes almost a screeching handbrake turn. After all, after all the excitement and fanfare of Jesus' arrival in chapters 1 and 2, we get to the end of the Christmas story, and then our passage this morning, well, Jesus doesn't even appear in it. Instead, it's focused on John the Baptist. When we look more closely, though, Matthew quickly removes that possibility. It's not that he's turned away from looking at Jesus. Instead, what he's really trying to do is, is show us that if the events of Christmas haven't utterly transformed our life, then we really haven't understood Christmas at all. We've yet to grasp the difference that the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the difference that really makes. Nevertheless, it is somewhat surprising when the narrative in Matthew's Gospel switches from Jesus to John the Baptist until we realise that John the Baptist is a preacher and he's a preacher with one job, which Matthew tells us in verse 3 to prepare the way for the one who is going to follow him, namely the Lord, to prepare the way. That's John the Baptist's job, and he does it by preaching. You could summarise all of John the Baptist's preaching with one word, repent. That's how John starts, isn't it? His first words, blunt as you like, repent. It's not a word that we use very much, actually, is it? Certainly not in normal conversation. You don't walk into co-op and as you're paying for your stuff, you say, thank you very much, repent. You'd probably get some funny looks. So what does repentance mean? The word repent literally means to turn around or turn back. It has the sense of turning back from something or someone or some course of action and instead turning towards something or someone else and a different course of action. It's a switch of allegiance, if you like, a change of path and direction, which begs the question, from what and to what? If John's saying, repent, well, we'll see as we look at our passage this morning. And the first 
piece of information that we'll get is who we should be turning to if we're to accept John's call to repent. Look with me at verse 2. John preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's another way of saying the king is on his way. That's a big claim. John's saying the king is coming, and not just any king, not just Herod, your local king, or Caesar, the sort of king of all of these vassal kings, actually the king above that, the king of kings and lord of lords. If we want to know who we're talking about, you need to do no more than flick back right to the beginning of Matthew's gospel, just back over the page This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. High credentials. Matthew 1, verse 1. And in case you missed that as you began reading through Matthew or you just lost your way a bit trying to keep track of the genealogy, telling the history of Israel, again in verse 18 of chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Matthew wants us to see right at the beginning, this is who we're talking about. Jesus, the Messiah, God's chosen king, the descendant of Abraham, a true member of the house of Israel, the descendant of David, King David's greater son. And we begin to get this sense, actually, this isn't just another guy, this is a prophesied guy, a foretold guy, a guy who God said was coming. This is not just any king. Repent, says John, because that king is coming. Repent, because that is how you prepare the way, smooth the path, get ready for this coming king. That's a purpose of repenting. And in case we haven't spotted the link, Matthew points us to the prophet Isaiah by quoting him in verse 3. Now Isaiah was speaking 700 years before Jesus was born, telling us how God would come into his world to set things right. He told us about Emmanuel, God with us. And now through Isaiah and John the Baptist, as he quotes him, God is saying, this is how the world should respond to the coming of the Lord himself. Prepare the way. Get ready. Now this year, perhaps more than the vast majority of years, we have a wonderful insight into the kind of thing that might involve. Because this year we have the coronation of a king to look forward to, don't we? A coronation of our king, Charles III. We as a nation are preparing a coronation. I can't imagine the number of meetings that are happening right now about it, and I'm very glad other people are sat in them. All the pomp, the careful preparations, the polishing of boots, The musicians practicing for the marching. The throne that's being, I don't know, touched up with gold leaf or something. The thousands upon thousands of things that have been added onto lists waiting 
to be checked off. The bank holidays being arranged, the calendars being printed, the marching, the pageantry, the music, the clearing of the route, the security to be arranged, cameras shoved down drains all over the place. Massive coverage, huge crowds gathering, millions of people planning the event. Because when a king's going to be crowned, when a king arrives to take up his rule, you get prepared, you get ready. That's true for our constitutional monarch, who we pray God will bless, but his power is limited. How true must that be for an absolute monarch of all creation? How much more when that king is the Lord God himself, king of all? Repent, says John, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In verse 4, John's camel hair clothes and leather belt, his dietary preferences of locusts and honey seem slightly incongruous, don't they, for the coming king. Well, it's the normal kind of stuff that you'd wear and you'd eat if you were out in the wilderness all the time. That's what was available to you. But it's more than that. It's also a retelling, uh, a, 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 a realisation of the, of the picture of Elijah from before. Elijah prophesied that another prophet would come after him. And here is this prophet wearing the same stuff that Elijah wore, eating the same stuff that Elijah ate. Here is an Old Testament-style prophet. And we see that John is a messenger then. God's mouthpiece with a message that we should be listening to. In verse 11, John tells us that we might rightly recognize that he's important, but, and he is important, but he says nothing compared to the one he's pointing to. It's not his job to be great. In John's gospel, he says, I must decrease, and the one who follows me must increase. The one after him is the one who's truly great. Now, that's a pretty big deal because verse tells us that all Jerusalem, Judea and the region of the Jordan are pouring into the area to listen to him. The massive numbers are getting baptised. He was probably the biggest guy on the preaching block at the time. So when he turns around and he says, I'm nothing compared to that guy, that's a big statement. And it's not that John the Baptist suddenly had a crisis of confidence. No, he has an honest idea of how he is truly compared to Jesus. It's not that he's small. It's that Jesus is that much greater. And so he says, I'm not worthy even to carry his dusty sandals. It's like somebody today saying, I'm not worthy to wash his wellies. We wondered whether Christmas had made no difference at all. Clearly, Christmas should make a profound difference because it's the birth into the world of this king 
of the one whose way John is preparing. And he's calling us to prepare that way by repenting. So we're beginning perhaps to work out something of what it means to repent. To repent is to turn around to recognize that Jesus is king, to accept that he has authority over my life, over your life, and to start living according to that reality. So it's worth asking ourselves the question, are we aware of the true greatness of our King Jesus? Have we lived as though he's great this Christmas time in our lives? If we were to look at them, when we're not stood in front of another Christian, but when we're just going about our sort of day-to-day lives, who do our lives suggest is great? Do we intend to live as though Jesus is our king this day, this year? The answers to those questions begin to show us whether we have truly repented, whether we're living in an attitude of repentance before God. Secondly, we're to repent whoever we are. In verse 7, John the Baptist gets some visitors. Now, you may well be visiting this morning, and if you are, we're thrilled you're with us, and we hope that you will have received a very warm welcome. Uh, It's an important part of being the family of God that we care for one another and that we demonstrate that same hospitality and love that Jesus showed to those he came into contact with. Sadly, in verse 7, John the Baptist doesn't seem to have got the memo. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come to check out his ministry. And in verse 7, he receives them with these words. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What was the issue there? Well, quite simply, the Pharisees don't think that they need Jesus. They're convinced they've already got it worked out. Much like many people in the world today, they would say, you know, Jesus is not for us. We don't need him. We're okay, thank you. Now, sadly, all too often, that isn't limited to people outside of the church. Even for some within the church who like the music, enjoy the readings and the tea and the biscuits. But when it comes to repenting, to humbling themselves before Jesus, well, that's not for them. That's beneath them. So John launches in to the Pharisees and Sadducees saying, you brood of vipers, in an attempt to shock them out of their complacency. Why, why, does, Jesus, why does John uh, use that picture of a den of vipers? Well, as religious leaders... People are looking to them to set an example, to set an example of what it is to follow God and to honor God and to live lives that are going to lead to salvation. But as people reach out to those religious leaders and look to them for their example and follow their example, well, the effect is very similar to reaching your hand into a nest of venomous snakes. You're going to get bitten, you're going to get hurt, you're going to die. John launches in, you brood of vipers. You're hurting people with your complacency and your presumption. 
Instead, repentance is for everyone, whoever you are, even people who think Jesus is not for them. It is. John shows us how we can examine our lives to see if we are truly repentant, if we're truly given over to God. Verse 8, true repentance leads our lives to bear fruit. What do we mean by fruit? We, we mean that the tangible outworkings, the, the evidence of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. If we truly repent, if we humble ourselves before God and seek his forgiveness, turning back round to follow his authority instead of rejecting it and rebelling against it, well, so the Holy Spirit indwells us. He goes to work in us, transforming us. And so we begin to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's worth asking yourself, how is your life different because you know Jesus as your king? How is your life different because you know Jesus as your king? Are our lives bearing good fruits in keeping with repentance? We can't expect them to if we won't live repentant lives, lives that come back to God and place our lives in his hands again, lives that are humble before God, lives that reject religious superficiality, the appearance of being right, and instead choose genuine submission to Jesus instead. So John the Baptist calls us to repent, each and every one of us, including me, including you. If we still think, ah, oh, but it's not really for me, is it? Then look at verse 9. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That's a real challenge, isn't it? You see, even being religious and having Christian parents or being involved with the church, that doesn't do it. Giving generously, having a good name in the church, leading a ministry, whether it be past or present, none of those can save you from the danger of God's wrath. Brothers and sisters, don't look to your Christian CV, to the lines that you write on it of what you've done that God must be pleased with. If you want to come to Jesus, come with repentance. So let me ask a question. Are you repenting? Is it a part of how you live your life before God? If you can't remember repenting or you aren't sure if you've humbled your life before God, if you don't know whether you've chosen to live under the rule of your King Jesus, if you rarely consider how Jesus would have you speak or act, then here's a warning to us to hear John the Baptist call to urgently come before Jesus and to repent. Thirdly, we're to repent urgently. Why the urgency? 
Well, look at the end of what Jesus says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in verse 7. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? God is rightly angry at our sin, but he's holding back from bringing justice against all the wrongdoing in the world because he's making time for humanity to repent. But that time will come to an end. Verse 10 says, the axe has already been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's a powerful image. And it's meant to be, make no mistake, the judgment of God is coming. Jesus will bring it. In verse 12, John the Baptist describes what will happen when Jesus comes to judge. And he uses a picture from harvest time. Jesus has a winnowing fork that whips up all the harvested wheat on the floor and separates the good grain from the useless chaff. And what happens to the chaff? Well, it gets swept away and placed into the fire to be burnt. An unquenchable fire. I wonder. We're perhaps used to coming across that kind of language in the Old Testament. Perhaps not so much in the New Testament. But I wonder whether we believe that. That's a far cry from the pictures that adorn our Christmas cards, isn't it? He may have been laid in a manger, but by chapter 3, Jesus is grown up. And there's nothing meek and mild about this Jesus. We've focused in so much over this Christmas season on the manger scene... But do we also believe that this same Jesus will bring judgment? Matthew clearly does. Indeed, the idea of judgment actually appears in the midst of the manger scene. As the angel appears to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. There it is, right there, in the announcement that Jesus is coming. That there's judgment coming. That's why Jesus came, to save us from our sins. We need saving because judgment is coming. If we aren't saved, we face God's wrath that's an unquenchable fire that we've already heard John the Baptist mention in verses 7 and 12. That's really uncomfortable, isn't it? Really uncomfortable, but there it is. And if I just skipped over that bit, I'd be neglecting my prophetic task as the preacher here, opening up this passage this morning, and I'd be neglecting my responsibility to shepherd you to the best of my ability as your pastor. The words John the Baptist speaks here are supposed to wake us up. They're supposed to be blunt. They're supposed to call on us to repent urgently. That's not the end of the story. What if we will repent? What if we do humbly fall at the feet of our Lord Jesus? What if we accept his salvation by faith? Look again at chapter 3, verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor... That work of judgment will be carried on to completion. 
gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus gathers his wheat into the barn. Yes, he brings judgment, but his purpose in coming to earth wasn't that he would bring judgment. He could have brought judgment without coming to earth. His purpose in coming to earth on Christmas was that he would bring salvation to all who would receive it that they might escape his judgment because we have a good God, a loving God. Jesus gathers the wheat into the barn. He brings hope, sure and certain hope of rescue that for those who repent, he will keep us safe now and forever. So the Christmas season may be over. The Christmas tree may be packed away, but for those who've truly met Jesus, life will never be the same again. It's turned upside down because we have repented. We've humbled our lives before our King. And our concern now is to live lives for his glory that bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. We should prepare and expect to be changed as we read on in Matthew's Gospel because Jesus is King. And so we repent because the King is coming. Repent whoever you are and repent urgently. Let me pray and then we'll just look again at some of the questions that uh, this passage has asked us this morning. Loving Lord God, this message is hard because it, it provokes us, Lord. It prompts us. It leaves us with nowhere to hide. It calls us to repent for the day of judgment is coming for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Lord, we thank you that this call to repentance is not one to condemn. Quite the opposite, Lord. It's an invitation to be set free. An invitation to find salvation. To find freedom from the threat of this coming wrath. It is Emmanuel, God with us, calling us to join with him forever. So Lord, please lift our hearts Help us to humbly bow down before us. Free us from those shackles that cause us to think that our efforts might somehow do what you have already done on the cross. Lord, free us from the treadmill of works that we might enjoy salvation by faith. Enjoy the fulfillment life in all its fullness that comes from being right before you. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So these questions uh, are, are effectively the ones we've asked as I preach this morning. Who does my life suggest is the greatest? Do I recognise Jesus as my King and intend to live his way? How is my life different because I know Jesus as my King and is my life bearing the good fruit of repentance? And do we believe John the Baptist when he warns us that God's wrath is coming for those who don't trust in Jesus? And how does that knowledge spur me on to share Jesus with others? Okay. Okay. Okay.
Right. Thank you. So we have the communion table laid up here before us. Uh, always reminded whenever we come to communion of how simple, how simple these symbols are. It is very much just bread, just wine. And yet it's so much more than that, isn't it? Because this is not simply things. This is things that symbolize a far greater reality. Here is bread that points to the body of our King and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who died for us. Here is wine that speaks of that terrible torture carried out on the cross. His blood spilt, shed, emptied as his life faded away. That we might know life in all its fullness. So come to this table not because you feel you have any right to come. Or because you are strong. But because you recognize your need of your saviour. And because you want to love him more. Come to this table because he loves you. Can I invite those who are serving to come and join me at the front, please? Thank you. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's pray and give thanks for this bread, this symbol of Jesus' body, shall we? Our Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to remember you. And Lord, as we do, we pray that by faith you would cause us to be conscious of what you have done for us. Lord, reveal to us its magnificence. And as we see the debt that we owe, cause our hearts to rise with joy at at the reality that you give this gift freely, Lord, at great cost to yourself, but without expecting that we would repay it. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to place our faith in you once more. Amen.
In the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant promise between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Lord God, we thank you for this symbol of wine that speaks of that commitment that you made to your people, that through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, we might be set free from our sins, that by repentance and faith, we could live lives in all fullness as your children. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. share in drinking this by faith and with thanks for our God who came to save us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with these symbols of the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Through him, we offer you our souls and bodies in repentance to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen.
Thanks, Rob. We'll finish our service by proclaiming what we've heard today as we think about repentance and about in Christ alone. Let's stand. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, fed through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on Fullness of God in helpless pain. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin. Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground His body lay Light of the world by darkness slay And Glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, brought with the precious blood of
We thank you, O Lord, that in you alone our hope is found. And I pray we will take those words out from your word this week, that we will be truly a repentant people who recognize you as the way, the truth, and the life, the only way and truth and life to come to the Father. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.